0: Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. Like none, right? Indeed, none. Now, on this episode, we've had a number of questions about getting more and better beer from your brew day, so it just seemed natural that, well, why not kind of go a little old-fashioned to get better beer. So we're going to actually walk you through the whole process of party gal brewing. You know, it's not really all that different than what we do. It just involves a little bit more math.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's not really a party either. No, but it could be a party in your pots. That's right. But before we get into that, let's have a message from our
0: sponsors. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, It's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewer's Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewer's Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at brewerspublications.com.
1: Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malthouse Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro level equipment and the best in cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same day order processing, and guaranteed two day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply.
0: The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and uh, thank you for sticking around. Remember, if you interact with any of our wonderful sponsors here on the program, tell them that you found them via Experimental Brewing or The Brew Files. It lets them know that their money is well spent. What exactly is Partyguile? What are we talking about here? As brewers, we're used to our processes, our way of brewing, and and we kind of almost come into this habit of thinking of them as rote things that have come down from on high and been the same throughout all of history and time. Kind of actually hard to get outside of it, which is part of the reason why it's so good to read and listen to other people's processes. You probably have a standard way that you brew. You know, you go, you mix the malt with X amount of hot water at X number of degrees Fahrenheit, and then you louder, you sparge, and you pull it all together into a single kettle for the boil it hasn't always been that way. And we're going to walk you through a little bit of clever math and a bit of tweaking to your process so that you can use the old uh, an old-fashioned process to get more beer from a single brew day. I think first, we've got to start with a little bit of history. And we'll start a little bit with mashing. Now, we're used to thinking of the sort of big combination mash tons, right? You know, the mash lauder tons that we see in every brewery. Denny, have you seen any place recently that has separate water tons?
1: Uh, not many. I've uh, in the last probably five years, I've run across like one or two places that did, uh, against the maybe you know hundreds that don't.
0: And now this combination mash water ton thing is a relatively new thing. Uh, In many places, you know, the systems, particularly over in Europe and, say, in Belgium, you still see a lot of systems that are set up as kind of a four-vessel idea. And, you know, the four vessels are, of course, your HLT, your boil kettle, your mash ton, and then a separate water ton. So you take the the mash out of the mash ton into the water ton, and then you separate there and pump it over to the boil kettle. Some places actually still do a three-vessel system where they actually (laughs) – pump the mash out of the mash tun, clean the mash tun while they're watering, and then that becomes the boiler. Yeah, when we
1: went to the commons, that was the kind of system they had there, huh?
0: In the very, very early days, if we're going all the way back in history, brewers didn't even separate the mash at any point. You know, that that went into the jar, it fermented, and it went into the jug that you were drinking of. So that's where all that stuff about you know straws made of lapis lazuli with filters on the end of them that you see in Sumerian and Babylonian and Egyptian uh uh, uh, you know, pictures about brewing, that's what the those were there for, right? You know, is to help kind of uh, do some late filtering of grain. Uh, then from there, we move on to other systems where, you know, some of the things that you'll still see today with farmhouse brewing, where you have hollowed out logs filled with hay and, and juniper branches serving as the filter mechanism. You would also see other processes that people would use where basically using big woven baskets. Go drop the mash into the big woven basket, Pick it up and let it drain out, right? You know, not all that dissimilar from brewing a bag. And then as things became bigger and systems became, you know, sort of more complex and people were producing more beer, they actually sort of reversed the idea. Instead, they made these sort of giant woven cones that they'd shove into the mash and let the liquid come into the cone. And then they'd ladle it out and move it over to a boil kettle. That's sort of the old fashioned way of mashing and filtering just to give you an idea that things haven't always been done the way that we that we're used to thinking of them. Denny, did I miss any other MASH systems that you can think of?
1: Not really. In terms of historically, I can't think of anything different. There there are variations of those things uh, these days. One of the things that I've seen some people do is what's called a, a drop-in manifold, where you do your MASH without any kind of loudering system in there whatsoever, and at the end you uh, drop some sort of manifold into the bottom of it that has a piece of tubing attached to it.
0: I don't know exactly why you would want to do that, but some people do. Well, some people do all sorts of things, and that's just how they make their beer. That's right. The thing is, you got to remember, before the advent of the hydrometer, the sacrometer, and even the thermometer, and all the very careful measurements that, that we take, brewers— kind of just did, you know, all this stuff by rule of thumb and, you know, sort of, you know, the knowledge that they had and a little bit of the sea of the pants, but they realized that there was one thing that was very true, that the liquid that they actually mashed with, you know, was going to be full of sugary uh, sugary goodness, uh, give their beer good and vital strength and good character. But brewers also being, you know, well, in business and trying to maximize the profits would also realize that they could add more water to the grain after they had pulled off that first runnings and, you know, go and, you know, grab more sugar. Now, we think of that as, you know, just a sparge. Well, party guile, back in the day here, you know, and guile just being a portion of the wart, party guile was really the way that they did it because they didn't actually pull things together like we do. It didn't all go into one boil kettle. They would actually separate the runnings and use the different runnings in different boils to go make different beers. That's the the party guile idea in a nutshell. Basically, imagine taking your sparge and instead of running it all together and flowing it into one kettle, you flow it into multiple kettles and use it to make different beers. And also keep in mind, back in the day when they were doing this, they would almost treat their different sparges as almost full mashes. So they would reinfuse the the mash with you know more liquor. And then take that and let it mash again before running it off again. So it was a very long and labor-intensive process. We don't have to do that. Here's, Here's
1: an interesting little piece of trivia. Do you know where the phrase seat of your pants comes from?
0: Well, I know the legend.
1: Yeah, right. And that's what I was going to say. We may not know for sure, but the legend is that uh, the brewers would take some word out, put it on a bench to see if uh, conversion was complete. They would sit on it, and if their pants stuck to it, then they would know that there was sugar in there and conversion was complete. So that's one theory of where the phrase seat of your pants came from.
0: And then there's also another part of the legend that's about Ale Connors in London measuring the quality of beer by doing the same thing in a pub remember folks when we tell beer stories that well they're stories told by people who like to drink beer
1: (laughs) yeah and they're 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 from a long time ago and and even i wasn't there for that (laughs)
0: Over time, obviously, Party Gal has died away because you know people have figured out how to be more efficient. Sparging, remember, was all about efficiencies, uh, trying to you know, squeeze every last little penny out of it. And Party Gal is also very labor-intensive, so it's sort of gone the way of the Dodo in almost all places. There are still a couple places that do it on the regular, and we'll talk about one of them, and probably the big one, uh, later in the show. But Party really did die out, and now everybody does, or almost everybody does, sort of, you know, your your batch sparge, your fly sparge, your some sort of combination sparge to be able to get one kettle of beer going. Because hey, why not? If it is so labor intensive and kind of weird, why do it? I mean, I think there, I, I think I have a couple of reasons to do it. One, I think big beers, you know, your big barley wines and whatnot, they're a lot of fun, but they are kind of wasteful. Either in terms of energy expenditure, like if you do a big sparge on your barley wine mash, you're going to have to boil for a good long time, or they're also wasteful because uh, hey, you're leaving all that sugar behind. And I know Denny, you've you've done a couple of big beers this way, right? Pretty much the only time I've done party guile
1: was when I was making a, a barley wine in the you know the 100 plus gravity range, and yeah, it, it, it's like you said. Uh, we realize that there's still sugar left there that we could be getting out of there and making something and when we get to talking about my old stoner barley wine I'll give you some examples but that was the main thing and again you know when I've done party guile with people it's when we've been doing a big beer and I've been brewing with a friend and so we've got plenty of equipment and that that really helps a lot if you can borrow an extra burner and kettle uh that will make your party guile life a lot easier
0: and to me, you know, homebrewers mostly being, well, uh, pecuniously minded, it seems awfully wasteful not to go and grab that second beer if you can. The other reason to do it is because uh, sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you just want more variety of beer. And uh, it turns out guile is a great way to get more variety of beer for, you know, one brew day. And we have, uh, there are ways that you can dress up that second beer. The thing that we really want you guys to to realize as we're talking about party Partigal is no matter what even though we're giving it a funny name, it really is just a, a slight tweak on your batch sparging process or your fly sparging process, for that matter, if you're measuring out your runs. And it, what we mean by that is, again, instead of combining all your runnings together like we do right now, you're just simply separating them off into different boil pots. It's as easy as that. But now I think the real challenge is trying to figure out exactly what you're going to get so that you don't end up Well, with sort of an unexpected surprise. Which can be good sometimes, but not so good others. The big rule of thumb about all this is two-thirds of your sugar will come out in the first third of your total volume of runnings. So two-thirds, one-third. And what that means, for instance, is if you're going to go and grab 15 gallons of of wort and bring it over into your kettle, the first five gallons of it is going to have two-thirds of the sugar in there. And so once we have that as our rule of thumb, we have a couple of relatively easy ways to figure out just how much gravity we can expect. Now, the first thing that we're going uh, to talk about here is how to do the formulation. And one thing that you need to keep in mind is when you're looking at doing this, you create a combined mash bill. And what you're trying to do is, let's say that you want to have a beer that starts at, you know, say 1096. In your, in your first runnings beer, your, your big beer. You want to have it start at 1096. You want to figure out how much grain you have to put in there if you want to get 5 gallons at 1096 and 10 gallons at you know a lower level. Uh, and the way to do it is you would actually formulate a mash bill that comes out together at a 15 gallons at, say, a 1080. And so, fun times for math. Let's dig into it. I will say right now you will see people talk about doing up to three, and sometimes in the historical records, four beers out of your mash. Uh, I don't recommend going to four because that last beer will be awful. And the math for number three is a little bit beyond what I want to talk about today. So we're going to focus on what I think is the most common version of party gal brewing that most people will do around here, which is to either do an even split. So you do two beers at an even split of volume. So five and a half gallons, five and a half gallons for a total of 11 gallons, or the one that we just talked about, where you do a one-third, two-third split, where you do say five gallons and ten gallons. Denny, have you ever done any different uh, sizes?
1: Yeah, I do because I don't, I don't go through all that math, man. Uh, I was listening to you t- uh, describe that, thinking, well, this is how you know Drew is an engineer. Well, I. I- do mine a little bit differently. I figure that if I'm making a big beer um, and no sparge, I'm going to get around 55 60% efficiency out of it. So I just figure my recipe for whatever size I'm going for at that efficiency. Um, you know, like, you know, say that I want to make the old stoner. I'm looking for a, a 100 gravity and I want to get, say, 12 gallons at 60% efficiency. So I just figure the recipe like that, then when I go to the party guile, uh, I just kind of wing it. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about that, too. But uh, I mean, so I, I think the last batch of Old Stoner we made, we used the 152 quart cooler and we got 12 gallons of Old Stoner at, uh, you know, 1.100 and we got 15 gallons of a second running's beer that was about 1060.
0: Yep. So if you're Denny, you can wing it, and I've totally uh, winged it before, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But if, you, if you're if you like me and you want to know some you know kind of numbers and you want to have a little bit of reassurance, and yes, I'm an engineer, basically what you're going to do is you can take the total amount of gravity that you're going to get out of your single batch of beer. So again, the example here, say you got 1080. And if you're going to do a one-thirds, two-thirds beer, so five gallons and ten gallons, you remember that for, uh, that rule of thumb, two-thirds comes in that first third, so you know two-thirds of your total gravity is going to go into that first batch. So you can use that to figure out exactly how much your, your uh, gravity is going to be. So really it's, say, 80 times 0.67 divided by the, the volume total, so say 15 gallons, times a third, so really by five, and that will give you the total volume that you're going to get in batch one. Batch two is that same sort of thing, except for now it's the total gravity times 0.33, because you're only getting a third of the sugar, divided by the total volume that it's going to be, which in this case is going to be 10 gallons. Those two equations will give you the gravity that you'll get out of your two batches. Same thing if you're going to do an even split, same sort of math, except for the numbers change a little bit because you're no longer getting Two thirds in that in that first batch, you're getting a little, slightly less because part of that first third is going into the second batch as well. So it's point five eight and point five two. So you know that you're almost getting sixty percent of your sugar in the first batch, and forty percent of the sugar in the second batch. Ta da! And don't worry, these will be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, really, man.
1: Uh, but no, I mean, and that makes perfect sense to the, the math you did it, and uh, you know it. You know, if you if you really wanna know what you're getting, that's the way to do it. I'm I'm more concerned about the first beer knowing what I'm getting, and then the second one, it's kinda of like free beer, so I'll take what I get.
0: I've done I've done that plenty of times. So actually here are the ways that I usually think about doing Party gal. It's you can either figure out just exactly how much malt you can go cram into your mash tun and see what that gets you in terms of your, your gravity. And then once you know how much gravity you'll be able to get, then you'll be able to do this calculation and know that batch one will come out to X, Y, Z gravity. Batch two will come out to, you know, ABC. And, you know, that's a that's a great one. Uh, Denny, I think you said you were using a 158-quart cooler?
1: Hundred, Yeah, 152-quart cooler. We put 72 pounds of grain into it at a uh, quart and a quarter per gallon or per pound.
0: You know how much grain you can get into that thing, and you can figure out what sort of beast you're going to get. That's one way. Uh, You can do kind of what Denny was doing, which is, you know, decide what you want your big beer gravity to be and then use that to calculate your grain bill and go from there. Uh, And there's actually a a same sort of equation. Math is fun. In order to figure out what the what the total gravity needs to be of your your combined batch, it's basically take the target gravity points that you want. So, again, say you want your beer at 1096, so 96. Times the target volume, so again, five and a half gallons, for instance. And then if I want this thing, and then you're going to divide it by the total volume times whatever that first cut factor is. So 0.58 for an even split or 0.67 for a one-thirds, two-thirds split. And that will t- that, that little equation right there will tell you, based on what you want your first gravity to be, how much gravity points you need to have in overall in the combined bill.
1: And, and let's just point out that this is, you know, approximate. You're not going to get exactly what your calculations tell you, so don't don't freak out. Don't worry about it. Just well, because your you know, your efficiency, you'll be in your ballpark. efficiency gets a little screwy. Sure, with a, with a big beer, your efficiency is going to be weird,
0: and you know, and and it's all estimation. But you'll be in the ballpark. You'll be close. And then, of course, the final way that you can do this is exactly what Denny does, and wing it, baby. Wing it. Uh, any other thoughts about figuring out how you how you get the beer that you want?
1: No, you know, I, I think that you pretty much covered it really well there, man. Uh, just remember, you're going to be getting two-thirds of your gravity uh, at the beginning for your first batch, uh, two-thirds of the total gravity that's uh, available from the grain you have. So, you know, just
0: figure that and then go for it. Let's go through the actual process. This is simple. The calculation is the hard part. The process is the easy part. Right. Because if you can batch sparge, you're already party guiling. All you gotta do is instead of, you know, taking the, the second batch sparge into the same kettle, you go and you direct it into another one.
1: Ta-da! And and this may be a, a good place to point out that, you know, when you batch barge, you can do that on any gravity beer. But if you're making like, say, like a 1070, 1080 kind of beer, you may think that's a big beer. But uh, I don't think you're going to have enough total gravity points in there to worry about doing a party gal. I certainly wouldn't recommend it on, on a gravity that low. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think the lowest I've ever party gal is about 1085. Which uh, puts it right in line with, actually, some of the British stuff that we'll talk about here in a moment.
1: Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty low for me, man. But, yeah, whatever. Well, Not everybody's got a 152-quart cooler. Well, yeah, and we didn't start like that. We'll talk about that, too. But uh, just, you know, I've and I mentioned that because I've seen people online talking about how they're going to be making, like, a 1060 beer and then doing a party guile. And it's like, uh, that's not a good idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point in time, I mean, really what you're talking about doing is, hey, I'm going to make a no-sparge 1060 beer, which is fine. Your first, your first batch is going to be fine. Uh, The question is always going to be about your second batch, and it is actually very important that you make sure that while you're doing this, that you're collecting appropriate volumes. The way that we usually talk about batch sparging, you know, we'll tell you, you know, hey, go stir the stir the water into the grain or add the water to the grain to reinfuse it, and then you know, uh, let it rip. Traditionally speaking, with party gal brewing, you would also let that mash sit for a little while longer and let it sort of infuse and soak in again? I don't. I know. Um, that's why <laughs> I said traditionally.
1: Yeah. There's no, there's no reason to do that. You know, um, if, you, if you stir that water in there, then the sugar is going to be in solution and you're not going to gain anything more by letting it sit. There's no more conversion to be done unless you cap with, uh, you know, unconverted molds.
0: That gets us into some of the other pieces. Again, that, I mean, that's literally a process for party galling. There are some other things that you should know. One is that if you're missing on your gravities, dme is your friend extract is absolutely appropriate for some of this stuff and it's also good insurance
1: yeah you get that second beer into the kettle you take a gravity reading you decide if you want to live with it or just add a little dme to it no problem you'll still get the character from all the the grain that you uh, used for the the second running beer
0: well and so speaking of grain and character in the second running beer a very common practice with these sort of party gal batches because a lot of people are worried sort of I mean, maybe not astringency is the wrong the wrong way of putting it, but you know, sort of getting that you know tea like character or something that doesn't taste right. Right, it, it, it can be really thin on the second beer. A very common practice is to go and cap the mash, and when we say cap the mash, normally you'll hear it being talked about in terms of adding, say, a roasted grain, you know, so a black patent or a caraffa. Yeah, you know, crushed up and added to the top of the grain and allow the water to soak through and drain the color out of that. Another very common one is actually to go and add some crystal malt, you know, just to give a little, a little extra oomph to the beer.
1: My standard practice always is uh, add a little crystal and a little uh, chocolate and uh, make a brown ale out of the second running.
0: And truthfully, one of my uh, things I've done in the past is particularly with the new candy syrups that we have our hands on those also actually make a really wonderful addition to your second small beer
1: that's a great idea man I haven't done that yet
0: yeah it's an easy way to get like a very different character in your second beer and the other part is don't don't stop and think of these things as these have to be you know forever mutually exclusive we're gonna talk about this here in exactly about one more minute but it's also a very common practice with party guile to blend runnings together, not quite you know sort of blending like we do with our full sparges, but take a little of that first kettle, add it to the second kettle, take a little of the second kettle, add it to the to the first kettle, get some some differing effects. Have you ever done that, Denny?
1: No, I haven't. That's a pretty cool idea, man. Uh, should I ever get around to brewing old stoner again, I may mean, give that a try.
0: So now let's go ahead and let's talk about some examples of party guile brewing, and I think. Yeah, you know, This day and age, you have to start with Fuller's. Fuller's over in the UK, uh, makers of the now trademarked ESB, Extra Special Bitter, London Pride, Chizzy Bitter, a whole bunch of other things, they still actively party guile brewing. Historically speaking, at least the way that we tend to think about it, party guile is heavily associated with the UK and with British brewing practices. As far as I know, Fuller's is the only one that I, that I can think of off the top of my head that still does it. What they will do is... ESB, London Pride, and Chiswick Bitter are all the same mash. And they pull the the wort into three separate uh, coppers, is the term they use. So, three separate kettles. And, you know, a copper A, copper B, copper C. And the three beers are a blend of those three different worts.
1: Ah, so pretty much just what you were talking about, huh? Mm hmm. So, like, because I was, I was trying to figure out, you know, which one was which running. But I see they they just you know do three separate runnings and then blend to get the different beers.
0: Exactly. So like ESB may be uh, and by the way I don't know for certain, but my guess would be ESB is mostly you know copper A, you know the, those first runnings. Yeah, you know, London Pride is mostly B, and Chiswick Bitter, which is the weakest of the three, is mostly that C kettle. You know that that third that third pull. This is actually part of the reason why Fuller's beers, at least as a home brewer, are really incredibly difficult to replicate. You know, and most professional brewers would have a problem trying to do this. I remember years ago when the Brewing Network was doing their uh, Can You Brew It challenges. They did a challenge to try and replicate Fuller's ESB, and they tried to do it as a single mash. And the whole time I was listening to the episode, I'm like, guys, they don't do that. They do party gal. You're not going to be able to get there. And sure enough, they, they didn't. And then they talked to John Keel, who was the managing director, and he talked about the party gal thing. And they went and redid it. And they did it as a party gal and got much closer. If you want to make a Fuller's ESB or a London Pride and you, yeah, and you really want to get right on top of it, the way to do it is to do it via the <laughs> via party gal.
1: You know what, man? I'll stick with my method of not having a target because that way anything you get is good.
0: Sounds fine to me. Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, one thing to keep in mind, you know, when you are doing these guiles, keep an eye on your pH. Keep an eye on your your water chemistry. Make sure that everything's staying relatively safe and sane. It's not really any different than your normal sparging uh, practices that you should be following. But when you're separating these things out, you're going to notice more in those later pulls than you would when they're all combined together.
1: Yeah. Uh, theori- theoretically, if you don't have any pH issues when you batch sparge, you shouldn't have any pH issues here. But again, that's theoretical. So keep an eye on it. Yeah,
0: and of course, not having issues from an organoleptic sense, you yeah, they might be more noticeable in, in this particular case, even if they're just middling little things in a full batch. Denny, we've been talking about your old stoner barley wine this whole time. So uh, why don't we dig in?
1: Old stoner was a uh, creation of myself and uh, two friends. Uh, we actually started all brewing at the same time. And, uh, we made our first batch of old stoner for new year's eve 1999 in case the world ended we wanted to be ready for it uh name came from the fact that uh, barley wines almost always traditionally started with old something and we were sitting around taking a break from uh from the brewing and looked around the room and went well with the three of us it's got to be old stoner um the original uh, method was to make this in two forty-eight quart coolers. Uh, my friend Kevin had one. I did. So we'd use the two forty-eight quart coolers. Grain bill: uh, forty-one pounds of pale ale malt, fifteen pounds of Munich, three pounds of Cara Munich, two and a half pounds of Crystal sixty. We'd split those between the two coolers and each do our own mash. Uh, you know, we'd do two separate boils, hop them. Uh, we would each ferment with a different yeast and then blend those back together once they'd fermented. Uh, Why did we do that? Uh, I don't know. We just felt like it. Then we would run more water through the uh, two coolers, combine the runoffs into another kettle, and uh, first we never capped anything. Eventually we did, and I started liking the results from, from adding a little crystal at least and started playing around with adding extra malts. And eventually worked our way up to uh, the where we were using the 152-quart cooler. We were putting uh, 72, I think, pounds of grain into that ending up with 12 gallons of Old Stoner and uh, probably 15 gallons of the second running's beer at about 1060 because there was so much sugar left there. Um, you know, we could have made that first uh, running's beer stronger, like Drew was talking about earlier, by doing more sparging and getting more of that sugar out into it, but then you have to boil longer. So that's that's where party guile really becomes a sensible thing to do.
0: Yeah, I think if you're going to make a big beer, and by big beer, we mean something like this, like 1090s and plus. If you're not doing either no sparge or party guile or a very limited sparge, boy, you're wasting a lot of energy.
1: Yeah, you are, really. I mean, because especially if you have the separate set of equipment to use for the second runnings beer, that, again, that's where it's really handy brewing this with a friend, because you don't have to wait for one to get done before you can boil the other. And it just, it makes life so much easier. Uh, you got two people to watch things, and you just, you feel like you're getting
0: everything that your grain can give you. Yeah, so, and, you know, you get two uh, fairly reasonable sized beers for one mash. It's a nice thing. Yeah, I I was always really impressed that we could get like a, a 15 gallons of a 1060 second runnings beer. Now, how what would you normally flavor that as like an IPA or
1: Um sometimes we would go with it as an IPA, more often or not though, we would make it into like an American brown. That was kind of like our favorite second
0: runnings beer. Yeah, and I think that's where it- Mash capping will also come in handy just just to give you a little amped up character in that second uh, second beer uh
1: yeah, i our favorite uh second runnings beer was probably like an American brown. We would uh, just toss in some crystal and some chocolate malt, and again, this is something that you can probably calculate somehow. We would just go well, that looks about right uh, and then make make like uh fifteen gallons of a ten sixty American brown out of that
0: indeed, and so. The example that I've done, I've done this with my Falcon's claws in the past, and I've ended up making things like uh, Belgian doubles out of the other side of it or a Schwartz beer, which, of course, was funny because I usually use a Schwartz beer to grow up the yeast for the Falcon's claws. But hey, whatever. It's sort of recursive. Yeah, really, man, it's the circle of beer. Now, my favorite that, I, that I've ever did was, uh, oddly enough, a barley wine, go figure, and an IPA. And I, I called it a party in my pots uh, barley wine. Uh, this was an, an even split. So Denny's uh, Denny's old stoner you just talked about. That's yeah, you know, what five five of the the old stoner barley wine and fifteen of
1: no uh, twelve. Uh, when we use the one hundred and fifty two quart cooler, we
0: get twelve barley wine and fifteen of the second runnings. Okay, so a little bit off that half and half split. The party in the pots uh, barley wine and IPA was an even half ha- half and a half split. So five and a half gallons at 1096 for the barley wine and five and a half gallons at 1064 for the IPA. Both of them with you know 60 minute boils, but it all starts with a, a not too surprising for me, uh, grain bill of Maris Otter and Domestic Turo as the base, with an addition of British Crystal 75, a little bit of biscuit, a little melanoid, and a little special B. Uh, these days I probably strike the special B just because I'm me. And, you know, just a simple mash at 152, single infusion. I mean, after all, this is sort of a British-inspired beer, so single infusion mashes rule the day. Those get separated, and then the barley wine gets a a whole bunch of hops to go up to about 80 IBUs, and then the IPA would get a whole bunch of hops to go to about, you know, 63 or so, uh, just to give a nice hoppy character. And then just using, you know, yield 1272 or 001, or I suppose if you want to, you could use y 1450, named after somebody. <laughs> And the nice thing about doing this is while that barley wine is doing its thing and aging and, you know, sort of mellowing out and getting all ready to keep you warm during the winter, you have the IPA to drink.
1: And yeah, it'll be long gone by the time the barley wine's ready, huh?
0: Yeah, exactly. And so remember before I was talking about the calculations for all this, here's how this works out. You know, to get that 1096 and 1064 type beer, it comes in at a grain bill of about 1080 uh, grand total, assuming about a 70% efficiency or 69% efficiency actually on this one, because uh, the bigger I go, the more I bump my efficiency down. Cause I figure if I get more sugar, then I'm okay, but 1080 and you can, get, you can just run the numbers that would basically be 80 times 11 times 0.6 for that first runnings and divided by 5.5 and it yields 1096 and, or for the second one, you get 80 times 11 times 0.4 divided by 5.5 to get you about 1064. So the numbers, numbers work out there. And every time I've done it, I've come right into the ballpark on these a little, little bit of math will do you good. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, I'm I'm super impressed. I know, isn't it fun? Uh, and some of the stuff comes from. Uh, there was a great old article from uh, Randy Mosher in Brewing Techniques, the long lamented and long past uh, Brewing Techniques. We'll include a link to uh, Randy's article uh, about Party Gal uh, because it was really the thing that taught me how to do this. You know, that's that same info is in also in his book uh, Brewer's Companion. That's true, and we'll we'll include a link to all that stuff online. But I mean to me this is this is what party gal is good for. Party gal is good for those days when you want to be able to make a big beer and you want to feel like you're not wasting grain and you want to have something to drink while you're waiting for the big beer to be done.
1: And you want to spend the whole day devoted to brewing. I mean, there are days that I go out there and I want to brew and I want to make beer and have a good time and get it done with. And there are days I go out there to brew and I want to spend the whole day going through the process. And especially if you have a friend over, you know, it, it, this is this is a
0: good all-day process. I was going to say, this is a good time to have a brew party. Yeah. You know? Well, <laughs> Part, uh, party with your party gal. Yeah, right. Uh, just pay attention to the beer. Yeah, have a responsible party. To me, I mean, look again, guys. The way this works, it's taking your uh, taking your batch sparge or taking your regular sparge and just dividing it at the appropriate time over to the various uh, kettles. Now, I know some people uh, who will actually sit there and they'll watch for their volumes and they'll watch the runnings. They don't. Uh, they don't do the calculations. They don't care. They just they'll just watch the runnings and say, okay, that's enough for kettle A and pull it over to kettle B and continue sparging. You can totally do that. Just pay attention. That's all you got to do. And then really, if you have a second pot and a second burner or a second setup somehow, then while that first beer is going, right? You know, so you get your your first sparge runnings into kettle A. You go fire up the fire underneath it. You start that beer brewing. You do the second runnings into the second kettle. You fire those up. You could actually back-to-back these things so that, you know, while one is coming to the end of into the boil and being chilled the other one's almost done boiling by the time the first one is done chilling it's time to move on to the second one and get it chilling and i don't know if you if you time it right if you do your if you do all your calculations and you're down on the stopwatch you could probably produce the second beer with 30 to 40 minutes worth of extra work
1: yeah i, I was gonna say that it really doesn't take much because uh, you know the first one is coming to the boil while you're doing the runoff on the second one so they kind of naturally time themselves back
0: to back indeed all right denny did we miss anything uh i missed having a beer while we were talking well there's easy ways to correct that I know. As soon, as soon as we're done, man, I'm heading for it. All right. So I think that's a good expressway lesson in terms of party gal brewing. Remember, people really do give this a shot. I think it's fun. And you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea of getting more beer out of your brew day because brew days take time and you know, they take time away from other things that you have to do. So if you can produce more, go for it. And remember, mash capping is your friend.
1: Yeah, you know, and I'm a big fan of just enjoying your brewing, and if, like I said, if you're up for having a big brew day, this is a great way to do it, and if you're the kind of person who makes big beers, then really you should give this a try at least once and, and see what you think.
0: Don't waste all that precious sugar.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this super quick look at Party Gal Brewing. i uh, We want you to make it a party. Make it a party if you're going to do this because, well, you know, the extra hands do help. But as Danny said, make sure you're being a responsible partier while you're party-guiling. That's right. Don't neglect your beer. So, guys, what are you going to make? What are you going to party-guile? What's your ultimate idea? I've done... I think my favorite is I did a big Saison and a Belgian cream soda as my second running beers. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's always good fun. So let us know what you're going to party, Gal, if you're going to go do this. uh, And let us know if there's anything that we missed uh, in terms of doing this discussion. Remember, again, treat this as one big grain bill, and all you're doing is just redirecting a hose, and suddenly you got two beers. So there you go. And remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., and hey, this episode was Inspired by listener questions. You can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrewing form known to mankind. Don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is. Our uh, our charitable cause for this part of the year is NowZad. They're they're a
1: great organization in Afghanistan, helping veterans uh, take care of the animals that they find there, helping them bring them home with them. Uh, We'll post a link to them so you can go read about it yourself. It's a wonderful cause, and we hope that uh, you'll click on that Patreon link and donate a few bucks to help out.
0: Yeah, remember, dogs. They're good. Yeah. So until next time, remember to always brew wacky or brew experimentally. And the brew is out there.